Hello everyone, my name is Christian. Welcome back to TechPoint. Today our guest is Vince, the CEO of Scalecrash. Hello. Hey. Hey everyone. Nice to meet you. Please tell us what your company does. Yeah, so my company is an SEO and content marketing agency, um, and we specialize in helping software companies, B2B software companies, um, grow through content. So with a, a, a content strategy, basically. Why do B2B SaaS companies need content marketing or SEO? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, I think there are two important factors. The first one is when you have the business model of a SaaS company, which is usually let's let's simplify it and say it's a it's a subscription model, right? Yes. Um, when you have such a um, business model, you need to keep your users in, engaged. Otherwise, they will churn. There's no way around it. So it, one way to do that is through content. So that content solves one part of that issue. And then obviously acquisition is still the, the name of the game for a lot of SaaS companies. And usually when they grow, SaaS companies start by, you know, if you bootstrap a company, it's going to be growth hacking, it's going to be Reddit, Product Hunt, Slack communities, all that jazz. And that's great, but it only takes you so far. So usually we work with companies who have already started growing. They have, you know, 500K recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue, a million annual recurring revenue, and they need to diversify their marketing channels. And content is, whether you like it or not, it's a necessary evil in today's world. You need the content marketing. You, you just need content. You need good quality content because otherwise people, otherwise people churn. Otherwise your acquisition sucks. Your sales cycle is super long, depending on the kind of company that you, that you, that you run. Um, so I think these are the two main factors. Reducing churn, improving LTV on one end, and obviously just the acquisition on the other end. You could make a case for you know a lot of other stuff as well, just the um, visibility for investors, etc. But let's keep it simple for now. What processes do you do, you do for them? So everything related to content marketing. Yes. So everything that we we do everything related to content marketing. More specifically, I'd say blog or website content more so than. You know, because content marketing, if you are in the content marketing world, people here like blog, white papers, all that stuff, like what we're doing is, is part of your content marketing efforts as well, right? It's a podcast, it's content. We do written content. Yeah. We don't do video production, etc. cetera. Um, and basically what the approach that we have that is, it's not a, a very um, differentiating approach but it is our approach. <laughs> it's that um, in order to attract the right kind of people and f in order for these people to ultimately buy from you, you need to focus on what drives them as an, uh, uh, you know, as your audience. And one way we do that is we use a, the, a framework that's called jobs to be done. So we identify the jobs that people have to perform, that the audience, that the, the actual buyer has to perform to do, you know, in their, in their daily lives. And then we see where the product actually fits into these jobs. For example, if mm -hmm. we're taking the, uh, the podcast creation thing, and I were to run a content marketing effort for Riverside FM, which is the, the software that we're using now to record this, then I would have to write around, obviously, uh, uh, podcast recording software, but also everything that has to do with podcast and also I can try understanding who actually, who my best customers are. Are there, 
you know, marketing people, marketing execs at big companies or that are small creators, et cetera. And depending on that, I can identify, mm. do I need to write more marketing related content? Do I need to speak to marketing people or do I need to speak more to content creators and, and, and focus on that? So that's kind of the, the framework that we use. And then obviously, because we do content marketing, we also do SEO. I actually have an SEO background and not a, a content background. And uh, um, we obviously identify all the roadblocks, technical roadblocks on the on the website, on the client's website. We fix them. We do the content strategy, and we also do the content production. So I think does does that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the pricing? Um, so the pricing can differ. Usually. That's a that's a tough question to answer straight away. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> the the pricing can differ. So, okay, I'm going to try and be quick and explain how the SEO and content pricing world works. So you've got a lot of people offering content, especially in you know my market is really crowded. You've got a lot of freelancers, agencies. You've got um, specialist agencies like us, and you've got more generalist agencies who also offer content marketing or content or SEO services. Basically these generalist agencies, what they do is they outsource to freelancers. So when you hire someone like that, they usually don't have the capacity in house. They will outsource it, which my opinion is to just go with the freelancer. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you've got more specialized agencies, obviously more specialized agencies going to be a little bit <clears throat> pricier. Uh, that's just the name of the game because we have a lot more talent in house. Um, and as you know, the economics of the service industry is just, um, it's just, uh, the, the salaries make up for a huge proportion of our, our costs, salaries and overhead. So our projects, they start at 5k, usually 5k per month, or I like to say investments starting at 50k or 60k per year. This is mm -hmm. a good kind of a good number to have in mind. This doesn't mean that we can't work for less. Usually we don't, but we can sometimes when it, as, as a, as a good SEO, I'm going to say it depends, but we can. And, um, and we do work on larger scale projects as well. So that can go up to, you know, 10, 15, 20 K per month, depending on the scope of the project. Usually, as you know, I can work with 20 K a year and I can work with a two millions a year. The difference is just going to be the scale and the velocity of the project. The actual work, I think, is going to be mostly the same. Obviously, if we work with higher budget, we'll do a lot more research. But you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But I guess you also have external co collaborators or contractors that you work yes. with. Yes, yeah. So that, yeah, yeah. So that is that ties back to the the economics of the agency world. Um, You've got a lot of agencies right now who are focusing on making the most money they can. And so they have great showcase. They have um, one or two very talented members that do the sales, that handle the sales process. And then they outsource everything to external people. We follow a different path. The main collaborators that our clients work with on a day-to-day -day basis are all in-house. They're all full-time employees. That, me that means I, as a business owner, make probably 50% less money than I could if I, if I followed that other business model, but I just don't want to do that because I think in the end that plays on the quality of the work. Um, so if you want to do good work, you just have to be a team and have people in-house. Yeah.
but I, we do, I, I but to, yeah, to answer your question, we do also work with writers. For example, we don't have a writer in house. I think having a writer in house is really, really hard because, um, good writers are already really hard to find and they're already probably freelancing and having someone in house that has the capacity to do writing all day to the level that we need it is really hard. It's, it's much more scalable to have a team of writers that we rely on that we've worked with for a long time, rather than have one person yeah. in house for the kind of the same cost, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it really does. <laughs> and uh, can yeah. you share with us some success cases? So companies that uh, came to you and asked for help and what are their, uh, their results? Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> again, the results that you can expect to depend on the kind of website that you have. If you have a website where you have done like nothing, you, you barely have, you know, two blog articles, it's <laughs> going to be slow because just, you need to build up the, the authority. You need to build all of that. Uh, if you've already kind of invested in content, like in house or on the side, like let's do it, but you, you've never really had any leadership come in. This is a good case for us. Now, this is a good, a good situation for us to come in because we can work with your existing content, re-optimize it in a situation like the, 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 the latter, um, we can usually, for some companies, we, we go as far as doubling the, tr the, the organic traffic in the first six months that has happened. And usually we do, you know, times two, three, four, five, obviously depending on where they come from, because if you already have 300 K users per month coming to your website, me telling you, I'm going to double that is a, is a very yeah. hard promise to fulfill. Yeah. But if you have 5k up, you know, putting that to 10 K is much more realistic. It's do, it's doable. Uh, but what we're interested in, in the end is not the organic traffic because that's great. But if I give you, if you run a software company and I give you organic traffic that has to do with cauliflower recipes, you're not going to be happy with any of this. So what we need is traffic that impacts the bottom line or at least the top line. So uh, being able to fill the pipeline with more leads and for one specific software company in a matter of a year, they went from a thousand downloads per month to 2000 downloads per month. So that's like twice the number of leads nice. per month. Uh, just yeah. for more, from organic traffic. Um, obviously this is just from organic traffic. Um, uh, one thing also that's very, very hot in the SaaS world right now is the attribution. So how, how do you know where yeah. a lead comes from? Yeah. Is it like, where does organic traffic and content marketing fit into all of this? And if you're a content marketing professional, you know that it's really, really hard to do content attribution. Yeah. Because buyer's journeys are, are really, really uh, different and people interact with your company on, a, on, a, on different levels. They may see an ad on Facebook, yeah. on LinkedIn, read a blog post, subscribe to your newsletter, come back six months and then buy from you. <laughs> Yeah. And then if they buy from you off of an ad, most companies are going to be like, oh, or, or ad this program is really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, if you hadn't been interacting with that person through your content all the time on LinkedIn, on your blog, in your newsletter, then that person may never have converted. I have even once um, converted on a company's website uh, for a tool that's called content harmony. It's a content, it's a tool that helps, um, content professional, um, create content briefs for writers. I landed on their website. I read like one article and I scanned really 
what they had on their website. I didn't even read anything, but the sheer scale of the content and how it was angled yeah. made me convert. So yeah. sometimes it's not even the fact that people consume the content, it's the fact that it's there. But yeah. that's that really, really the, hard. The subject, then. yeah. Exactly. But that's really, really hard to prove, right? Because it's right. me telling you, yes, but <laughs> had it not been there, you wouldn't have converted. And that gets into, yeah. you know, a little bit. Um, yeah, but how can you prove that? The, <laughs> the answer is people do try, but in the end, you just have to accept that not, not everything is measurable. And uh, do you think content marketing is uh, undervalued? Underestimated? It's a, it's a tough question. I think ultimately, um, so based on the interactions that I'm having with people, yes. Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, but in the end, I've come to the conclusion that it's a necessary evil, really. Like we are the car mechanics of marketing. We are the dietitians of marketing. Like, you know, you have to take your car to the mechanic, you know, you have to diet, you know, to, you have to exercise, but no one wants to do it. Okay. You've got the 5% of fitness freaks and diet freaks and, 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 <laughs> and the guys, the guys and girls that are into mechanic. But in the end, most of us are like a little bit, you know, avoid doing this and that as we can. And this is a little bit yeah. the same for content. In my opinion, it's like people know they should be doing it. They know they should be doing SEO. Some people say do SEO. They know they should be investing, but it's not at the top of their priority list. And so this is something we sometimes tell people. We, we say, look, um, we know, you know, you should be doing it. We know you should be doing <laughs> it. Now we can take care of this for you if you'd like. Yeah. And I guess from your perspective, companies should start this as soon as possible doing SEO and yeah. So if, if they can, okay, this is a good question because ultimately it, it, it boils down to where you spend your marketing resources and your marketing budget. If your company is still struggling to find users, um, to, to make ends meet, I'd say. So if you have like 2k, 3k, 4k, 5k MRR, I would say, don't bother with SEO. You've got a lot more on your plate first. So you've got you know, the, the growth hacking stuff, the doing a great product, product hunt launch. You've got LinkedIn obviously is a big thing. You've got your, a lot of ads to run and test and do, you know, be on Reddit, etc. So if you, if you're in that situation, no, what we say usually as a, as a threshold, it's a little bit arbitrary, but we say 500 K annual revenue. Mm. Once you get to that point, this is where your content investment start really making sense first, because you have the cash, because I was saying, you know, 50 K 60 K it's still like 10% of your annual revenue that you're going, you're putting towards content. So that's not yeah. necessarily super easy for a company to do, unless I you guess, really believe yeah. this is the future and you're looking for the long term. because remember content marketing and SEO give a return on investment after 12 to 18 months. So if you're not in a position as a business owner to know where you're going to be in two years or in a year, it doesn't make sense to really invest in something that's only going to uh, provide at that point. You explained it very well. <laughs> <laughs> so if, <laughs> thank you. So if 
you do want to, I had this discussion with um, a, a great guy with a great tool. I think it's going to be a success last week. And I said, if you want to do it, like as a business owner, you feel energized by it, you want to write, you want to have a blog, by all means do it. Because when the time comes to actually invest in content, something else than your time and, you know, a few hundred dollars here and there, it's going to be much easier to work with someone like me because you're going to have built so much stuff that we can work with. Yeah. But if, if this is something that just repulses you, like you cannot write, you don't want to, you don't want to have anything to do with it, then I don't think it's a great idea to force it upon people. Yeah. Which, which is also, it, it, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting no, your next I'm, question. I'm, I'm, I'm not in a rush. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is also, I think a, um, an extension of what you were asking, um, earlier, which is the, <clears throat> it's really hard to know when the time is right, right? Is it 500K? For some companies going to be 500K. For others, it's going to be a million. When is the right time? And how much is the right price, right? And that is really, it depends company on a company per company basis, basically. Yeah. And I saw that uh, you don't take long-term projects, right? Yeah. So we do, we do long-term projects. This is, this is, um, this is an interesting the, thing. Yes, yeah, yes. The thinking. So we are, are, okay, I've worked in agencies. I worked, I worked in-house at agencies. And there is one thing with the retainer model that is a little bit annoying. When people pay for retainers, you pay your fixed price per month. So what, what, but, but the reality is that in our line of work, we have to front load a lot of the work. Like there's, there's going to be user research. There's going to be strategy. There's going to be audits. There's going to be a lot of stuff that has to happen up front. So when agencies put people in a retainer, what they do is they usually, um, even out the costs over, you know, the 12, six or 12 months, so they'll do all the, all the work up front, and then they do less and less and less and less and less and less. Right. And so what happens in that situation is that as a client, you feel like you're paying for less work, which is not true because you, 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 the agency loaned you many yeah. hours basically, but yeah. this is how it feels. And from the agency side, you're, you end up in a situation where the only resolution of that business relationship is your client firing you, mm. right? So, so you end up in a situation where you do, I mean, as an, as an agency, you end up doing a lot of busy work so that clients get the feeling that they get a lot of work for the money that they're paying for, which is work that does not contribute one bit to your results. And your client is always asking for more because they feel like they, they're, they're, they should be getting more work for the, the, the amount that they're paying. So we decided to get rid of that really type of relationship altogether. Understand. Um, yeah. And what we do now is we actually package shorter term projects. That doesn't mean that we don't work long-term with clients. It means that we'll do, this is going to be a four week project, a so six week project. This is going to be maybe a, a three months project. But it's never a retainer without a clear scope of work or without um, a set amount of deliverable or without, you know, it's not like we'll do SEO for you for 5K per month. 
right? Because mm-hmm. that's a huge black box. Yeah. And this is really detrimental for our industry in the end, because we're the one creating our own problems by selling this way, basically. <laughs> I get that. I get that. What do you think are the top three mistakes that uh, SaaS companies do with content marketing and SEO? Um, so the number one mistake that people, people make is they focus on features. And this is, <clears throat> sorry, this is understandable because when you build a product, you know, the ins and outs of your product and you know, everything about it. And, and, and it, it's the easiest way for you to market it is just to start talking about features, but people do not want features. People want a solution to a problem, right? And so if you switch the tables, if you just take it the other way around, you can start by focusing on the problems that you solve. When companies do this, they usually start realizing that a lot of features are actually not that useful in their product, which is why you see so many SaaS advisors saying, you know, don't build all the features that people request. People may request features, but that doesn't mean it fits right in your product. So it ends up being this way. And second, the second outcome is that messaging and marketing becomes so much simpler because you know exactly what problem you solve. Yeah. So if you, and, and product and product development becomes much easier as well, because you, you're not no longer forced to bloat the, the product with features because a lot of companies, they go like, oh, we can appeal to a larger base. If we build more features, if we build this on, on top of that, on top of that, on top of that. And yes, that's true, but how are you going to market these features? And in the end, that's really tough to do. So yeah, number one is just not focusing on, on their users. And I, I, I'd say that this is a problem in their overall marketing and it translates in content marketing by not focusing on what we call bottom of the funnel keywords. So mm. focusing on content that people actually people who are actually ready to buy want to consume. I see a lot of companies who clearly have competition and do not talk one bit about their competition on their website. So they don't have X, Y, Z versus us, you know, um, all these comparison pages. And I guarantee you, whatever the industry, whatever the business model, whatever, whatever the company people are comparing your company to another company. So the question becomes in that instance, do you want to be part of that conversation <laughs> or do you, do you want to be out of it? And so obviously like if it's better people to are be seen and not chosen that not to be exactly. seen at all. <laughs> exactly. And I, there's a company that does that really, really well. It's a CRM for salespeople. That's, that's called uh, close.com. Mm-hmm. It's just close.com. And, um, and their, their comparison pages read, uh, we are biased, not ignorant. Okay. So that means we know other people have built tools that are really similar to us. And we know that these tools are good and we're competing against them. We still think our tool is better and we'll <laughs> tell you why, but we understand if you, you feel that it's not a right fit for you. And usually nice. doing that, you know, taking that approach is really, really good because it builds honesty, transparency. And honestly, I remember close.com for doing this and I do not remember which competitors that they, they had on their website. Nice. Nice. Right? That's a nice one. 
Yeah. And the third, the third um, mistake, I think it's content marketing related, but it's also just marketing related is not putting prices up. Not all companies make this mistake, but you see a lot of that in higher ticket or mid-market SaaS companies who have uh, monthly prices in the you know $500 range and up. Uh, and I can tell a quick story sure. because that happened to me. And it, it's just take, take the point of view of your customer. I, I signed up for, you know, I, I actually got targeted by an ad for a company who, do, who has a, a, a piece of software that does cash flow management. Basically it's a French company. I'm French. Um, and six months ago or a year ago, they already targeted me with an ad. The product looked great, but you had to fill a form to try it. So I didn't fill the form. They had a free trial. So I go for the free trial, still no pricing anywhere. Right. I obviously it's a cash flow management software. So you have to connect your bank accounts, categorize transactions. So you have to go into, you know, two or three hours yeah. of just setup to just understand how that, that stuff works. So, Side note here, build live demos for all products because, you know, build live demos with dummy data because people want to interact with your product. Um, so I go in, put in the two hours of work and then, you know, some random chat pops up asking me if I need help with the product. And then at some point I'm like, what, what's pricing like? And the girl's like, it's 500 per month. Oh, cause I thought that was a fifth. $50 per month product, right? Yeah. So uh, why did I put all my time into this? I guess they were and, uh, saying that if you put all the effort afterwards, you're going to have no choice but pay it. So, but that's not a good strategy, just short term thinking. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I'm not going to name them here, but I have done it on LinkedIn. <laughs> In the end, it's bad press for them, right? Because the only thing that I remember about the company is not how good the, the, the product was, because I think it was really, really good. It's that they try to screw me. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that's the, definitely another mistake that people make is don't not being really transparent with pricing. And, you know, you, you asked me the question and there are ways to be transparent with pricing by not necessarily telling everyone all oh, your pricing tiers and stuff but saying, oh, our, our plans start at whatever, right? Could be more for you. Maybe we can work something out so that it fits your budget. But in the end, this is kind of what we're shooting for. Nice, nice. <laughs> that's, that's great value. And do you have any piece of advice for SaaS companies? Um, for SaaS founders? <laughs> I've yeah. already given like a lot of them. Yeah, for, for founders, for founders. <clears throat> for founders. Yeah, I think one, but that's, that's more like a business owner kind of thing. I yeah. think one thing that has helped me a lot, and that is really counterintuitive is to look into con what context switching is and how it's killing your productivity and to look into time management as well. So, so context switching is the fact that we have a lot of science to back it up. The fact that every time you get disturbed, when you do something, it takes, a, it makes you lose about 20 minutes to just get back on track. And so if, if people feel like they're constantly being pulled away, you know, in all directions, 
just learn to say no and say, you know, I'm going to remove my email notifications, remove my Slack notifications or project management like Asana, ClickUp notifications. Like I don't have any kind of notifications anymore. Me too. And so I can especially with social media. <laughs> yeah, and so you can you can that then set aside time to consciously check your notification, and that's going to improve not only how productive you are, but just how well you feel during the day. Absolutely. Not being, you know. Absolutely. And this is the same same thing with like what I call time management or time blocking. Yeah. When you start with like a list of tasks and you actually block them. Even if you fail, at least you have a plan for each day or a plan for each week. You know what you're going to do, and that allows you to prioritize correctly. I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. And so that's when you realize that there is a, an, an interesting thing people call the, the four Ds. So it's either for each task, either do, delegate, ditch, or delay, I think. Yeah. Do, delegate, ditch, delay. So... Each task you either do now, delegate to someone, uh, delay if it needs to, and if it's if it's neither, you know, just if it's not an important task. So if Delete. it's if it's been in your to do for like forty five days, yeah, maybe you need to let it go. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, just one last question for you. What's your favorite software? Oh, can I say League of Legends? <laughs> it's a piece of software. <laughs> No, no. That's more um, of a game, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's a piece of software, technically. Technically, uh, What's yes. my favorite <laughs> but software? But for a B2B SaaS, a SaaS that, that you use and you like. A SaaS software that I use and that I like? Actually, the, the latest one that I... Okay, I have two. One for productivity-related stuff. Um, there's a screenshotting tool called Snagit from a company called TechSmith. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know that tool. Basically, I didn't know I needed a tool for that before I started using theirs. Like, yes, it's it's a paid tool, but it's worth every every penny, in my opinion. It's pretty cheap, it's like 60, 70 bucks a year or something. Okay. And the other one that I just discovered, this is more of the businessman talking, but it's um, uh, an accounting software called Penny Lane because... Uh, QuickBooks is going to stop their operations in France because they've decided we're too cumbersome to bear with. Okay. <laughs> like they don't want to deal with us anymore. Okay. <laughs> and so um, I had yeah. to switch accounting software. And yeah, th these guys, I don't know. I think they have an English version. Uh, I don't know, depending on the country that you live in, it's it's uh, compliant or not. But Penny Lane is a good, is a good one. Obviously, like the big ones like ClickUp and stuff, but every. I'm guessing everybody says that, so. <laughs> yeah, you gave us something new. Thank you so much for being <laughs> here and uh, thank you for your great insights. I really love the interview. Thank you. Bye-bye.